morning, everyone. Woo, that's a lot of red. All right. <clears throat> I am impressed by your devotion. Well done. Um, where were we? Okay. Acts chapter 13 we're studying today. Acts chapter 13, this first passage in verse 44, I think is every, every Lakelander's dream. Here we go. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. Imagine if something happened here last week that created such a buzz that this week, thousands of people are trying to press into this room to hear the good news of what Jesus has to offer us. I mean, how many of us would be praying, Lord, thousands are coming today. Please, God, if it's Pastor Garrett preaching, don't let him wear a Star Wars costume. No, Lord, we pray against uh, examples of stranger things. Um, And and Lord, uh, we know I used to be a biology teacher, but just today, Lord, may your Holy Spirit put a hedge around that he would not show us pictures of snakes or or spiders or or DNA or any of that kind of stuff. See, no one's laughing because that stuff's all happened here. Um, Now, aside from some fears that I might embarrass us all, how excited would we be for the opportunity to share God's plan with so many people? So that's what's happening on this Friday night in this synagogue in in Antioch of Pisidia. People who don't normally attend this synagogue, thousands of them are showing up for this service. But the people who do normally attend that synagogue are not excited at all. Verse 45. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Now, what are they jealous about? It doesn't exactly say. Well, all these people showing up, a lot of them aren't Jewish, right? A lot of them are Gentiles. That's what you call non-Jewish folk in the Bible. A lot of them are Gentiles. Yet they're showing up to hear about the God of Israel and Israel's Messiah, So maybe they're jealous of the fact that Paul has drawn this huge crowd of Gentiles that they could never draw a crowd like that. Or maybe they're jealous in a more basic way, like you would be if you came here and there were a thousand people trying to press into this room and you're like, hey, that's where I normally sit, you know, and now there's like a stranger in your seat. Um, And maybe that's what they're doing, you know, in synagogue. Hey, this is where I normally stand. And now there's all these Gentiles standing in there. There's like three of them where I used to stand. So maybe it's that kind of jealousy. We don't know, but whatever it is, they start heckling Paul and Barnabas right there while he's talking. And when that doesn't shut the whole thing down, verse 50, then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. Now, why does it say that they started with the influential religious women? That was it. interesting starting point. So this is actually an important historical and cultural note that you'll want to know. So all over the Roman Empire at that time, uh, women were becoming interested in Judaism, particularly influential women who had the leisure time to explore other religions, and they were getting into Judaism because compared to paganism, Judaism had a lot more to offer women. Um, First of all, the Jewish God was the only God. He stood alone 
So he didn't have to fight and bicker and sleep around with a bunch of other brother and sister gods who acted like spoiled children throwing tantrums. So you remember Greek mythology that you studied in junior high and high school. The gods pretty much acted like spoiled children and they all committed adultery and cheated on each other and killed each other's followers. It was very, very strange. But that was actually a religion before it became something we teach in seventh grade lit class. Also, the Jewish God didn't force women to serve as sex objects in things like ritual prostitution or weird blood or sex cults that were spreading over Rome at that time. Also, in Judaism, women could be honored for more than just their ability to produce a healthy heir and be beautiful. You know, the Hebrew scriptures also honored women for their wisdom. Um, uh, The Bible honored women for their business acumen. The Bible honored women for their devotion to God. In one book of the Bible, a woman even leads Israel for a time. So there was a lot more to offer there. Now, pagan men were also showing up to synagogue at that time. They called them God-fearers because they were interested in the God of Judaism, but they would not become Jewish. And the reason why pagan men would not become Jewish is because pagan women could become Jewish by saying, I'm Jewish. Pagan men could become Jewish by getting circumcised. So in the time before Novocaine, for an adult man, the getting circumcised was not an attractive offer. So, so these Jewish leaders, they go to their female followers and get them stirred up against Paul and Barnabas. And then since they're influential women, they can convince their powerful pagan husbands who actually run Antioch to have these guys tossed out of town. And that's what they do. Verse 51. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. So this shaking the dust off your feet thing, that's actually kind of an in-your-face insult. Because when Jews would travel outside Jerusalem, when they came home, they would shake the dust off their feet before they entered Jerusalem as a way of saying, I have been out in the unholy world, but I am leaving that all behind. I'm even leaving the unholy dust of that place behind as I walk back into the Holy Land. And when they went to to temple uh, on Friday, then they would shake the dust off their feet outside the temple as a way of saying, well, even the dust of the Holy Land is not good enough for the most holy place of God. So when Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch, shake the dust off their feet and go out, it's kind of the way of saying that's an unholy city. The way those people are acting, that, that the, they're not in God's plan. Yikes. Now, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, this pattern is repeated then for the rest of the first century. That they go to a town and they proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus and his salvation for all and and that he is risen. And lots of folks believe it and a church starts. But there are always some who don't believe it. And many times they have enough power to have them driven out of town, which causes them to go to the next town where the whole pattern repeats again. In fact, this pattern is repeated throughout human history. Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire, opposed all along the way by the pagans. Christianity spread into Europe, opposed by uh, what they called at that time the barbarians. Christianity spread to the British Isles, opposed by the Druids. Christianity spread into Asia, opposed by the communists. Interesting. Christianity got a free pass here in the Americas because it came here with settlers who already believed it. And so there was no existing religion to threaten as it spread. 
And from the mid-1700s to the early 1900s, Christianity was strengthened by three waves of revival, which you probably, again, studied in junior high and high school history as the first, second, and third great awakening. So challenges to Christianity in America, and there are challenges to Christianity in America, but they don't come from other religions. They always come from within America, and typically from those who have no religion at all present the most challenge. And they have made some uh, big gains, particularly in the last 10 years. The numbers of those claiming Christianity as their religion in America has fallen 8% in the last 10 years. And the number of those claiming no religion at all has gone up 7%. So you can probably guess where the shift is going. That is three times faster than the rate of slow decline that's been happening with Christianity in America since it peaked in 1955. And I think you can feel this drop off in the air when we suggest that you tell someone at work or school this week about what Jesus has done for you. A little fear creeps into you from somewhere. Campus ministry groups that have been, some of them have been on college campuses for a hundred years, are being tossed off because of uh, rules like uh, that the president of the Christian club must be a Christian. I mean, it kind of makes sense, uh, but that's against the campus rules, and on that basis, they're using it to throw groups like the Navigators off of college campuses. Uh, Christian characters in television and movies are now either absent or else portrayed as naive and annoying at best or psychotic and evil at the worst. Right now in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, more people are imprisoned and killed for being Christian than for any other religious or ethnic reason. One in 12 Christians in the world this morning experienced dangerous levels of persecution. And yet Christian persecution is almost never discussed in popular media. You only come to church and hear about it. Are Christians doing something wrong to be treated this way? The history of Christianity in our world says, no, it has always been this way. In every country and in every time, some embrace the offer of salvation in Jesus and some don't. The pattern here in the book of Acts says that we aren't necessarily doing it wrong. There's always in the crowd a number who accept Jesus and believe that he is the truest picture of what God is like. And that if you follow him, he will lead you to the feet of God. And there's always a number in the crowd for a variety of reasons, who will not accept that. And some of them actually oppose the message of Jesus, sometimes violently. Jesus himself had told us that it would be this way in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Confession time. For many years as a pastor, I thought I could change that. I thought Jesus is such a downer. For once, I get to be an optimist. I can, I can fix that. That's just, that's just a problem looking for a solution. Here I am. Um, for many years, I thought if I just, if I, if, if the good news is good news, then everyone will hear it, and most people are pretty sensible, and they'll, they'll believe it. If they could just hear it the right way, 
So if I could just preach it the right way, and if we all could just do really well to have a, a wonderful Sunday morning service and church service and, and church community, the whole city will embrace Jesus and his good news and, and, and come to accept all the good that he's given to all of us. And I proceeded to drive myself crazy with that thought. Because I don't know if I ever did it well, but I certainly tried my best. And we all certainly tried our best. And many did accept Christ. And, and here, you, here you are. But not everyone did. Not even the majority did. I thought I could teach just as well as Yoda. I was wrong. And Jesus said it would be this way. In Matthew chapter 5. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Well, good grief. Where does that leave us? That we're going to share the good news and and only some are going to believe it and join the kingdom of God and live in his joy. And the rest are going to ignore us and a certain number of them will make life difficult for us. Yes, yes, that is the message. The gospel of John, chapter 16, Jesus said, I've told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. That's it? Yes, that's it. But but guys, guys, that's everything. That's everything. The key to joy is right there in those words. When they're heckling Paul that day, they're shouting him down right while he's talking in front of the biggest crowd he's ever drawn. What did he do? Did he sulk? Did he say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend anyone? Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you, Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, and he quotes Genesis here, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. Paul said, this isn't a surprise either. God always knew it was going to be this way. Since Genesis, it's the first book of the Old Testament. Chapter 12, God said the day would come when he would break out of just being a tribal God for one tribe of people and he would break upon the world and offer himself to everyone. Genesis chapter 12, we're turning way back in the Bible. All families on earth will be blessed through you. Those words were written 1,200 years at least before Jesus. 500 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah picks them up and repeats them. Listen to these words written 500 years before Jesus. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me and my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. 
I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations. So, unless some of you here were born Jewish, you are a fulfillment of these prophetic words from Isaiah. That this message was going to go beyond Israel and be for everyone in the world. God did everything he did in the Old Testament scriptures to come up with the Messiah to go beyond that land to you and I. Thousands of years before you and I were born, we were in the mind of God. And that Jesus would be the way for us to see who God really is. What does that do inside of you to know God made that plan for you? Here's what it did inside of them in Acts chapter 13, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. And how did Paul and Barnabas take it? That there are all these people who believe their message and this church is growing. But a few who didn't like it had the power to get them kicked out of the town. It says they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How are they filled with joy in the Holy Spirit when they just got kicked out of a town where it was just starting to go good? Because they know that this sort of thing doesn't matter anymore. When you know that Jesus is risen and you know that his kingdom is coming and you have felt his salvation, of course you want to share that good news with everyone you know and love. And it's sad when some of them will not hear that, but the joy of what God is offering overwhelms all of that. I want to show you a scene from the movie Risen. Risen is a, a fictionalized account, but uh, it, it, it uh, is a movie about a Roman soldier who's commissioned to go find out what they did with Jesus' body. Jesus' body has disappeared. Go find out where they hid it. So in this scene, they capture the disciple Bartholomew, and they're kind of threatening him, like, tell us where you hid the body. And he should be really scared because this Roman soldier has the power to kill him. This is only days after Jesus died. But he's seen the resurrection and he's so filled with joy, it just, it just overwhelms all fear. Well, just watch the scene. Who's Bartholomew? I am he. Bring him. But you have to win by spreading fantasy. By mine own eyes, Tribune, I, I, I walked with him. He spoke to me. <laughs> it's unbelievable, but it is so. Then conjure him up right now. <laughs> or show me the body he must have shed like a snakeskin. God is not at my beck and call. God. Yahweh manifests himself through a crazy, poor, dead Jew. <laughs> well, so it appears. What does this rebirth mean? What? Eternal life. For, for, for everyone. Everyone who believes. Marvelous recruiting tool. Much better than salt. How many are you? Well, we are 
few for now. And our only weapon is love. But this, well, this changes everything. What are your intentions? Why do you fear him so? This empire means nothing to him. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. That's what he taught us. What if I ordered your crucifixion? What? what I, I would happily submit. Strike. He has an infectious lightness. Because everything that guy can threaten him with, it doesn't matter anymore. The disciples ought to be filled with fear, but they're not. That was then, this is now. How do we minister in our world where we feel threatened, decline, and all this? How do we, Lakeland community, reach out to our world? Well, first... We can't go out there and be afraid that something might happen. Someone might be offended. The scripture has told us people will absolutely be offended. That is absolutely going to happen. So there's no reason to hold back based on fear of that. That is part of it. There's never been any Bible story saying of Jesus or example from scripture that shows you anything any different. And we can't let ourselves be discouraged by what isn't happening. That not everyone is receiving the offer of God. Maybe not even the majority. We have to focus on what is happening and what God is doing. That many around the world are coming to God. Many in our midst are coming to God. We need to learn to focus on the bright side. To focus on the bright side. Herman and Harriet were sitting on their couch at home, staring at each other, empty nesters. This was not an uncommon occurrence. Harriet got up from the couch, went to the mirror, stared at herself, said, I don't know what happened. I'm 50 years old, and I look like I'm over 60. My face is all wrinkly. My back is bent. My hair is thinning. Her husband turned to her and said, Honey, look on the bright side. Your eyesight seems to be working fine. Look on the bright side. Christianity is growing fast in Asia. Christianity is growing fast in Africa. It's declining sharply this last decade in America, but we have been here before. Many times. This is exactly when we pray for revival. Because large numbers of people in our country are deciding, oh, I'm no religion at all. I'm just going to do this my way and take this all on my own shoulders. That's not going to work. That's going to go terribly for a lot of people. This world is a crushing weight on people when you try to do it by yourself, without God. Especially in large numbers, then we can all create a lot of problems all together. When you pray for revival, you're praying that large numbers of people will realize that sooner than later. And they say, I can't do this on my own. And then there is God. There is his church. There is Christ Jesus. And there is the Holy Spirit to say, you don't have to do it on your own. Come to his altar. He is ready to take this burden from you. So when we pray for revival, and there's a station here where you have an opportunity, you can pray for revival in our country. You're praying for larger numbers of people than normal to come to that realization sooner than later before too much damage is done. God does not want that.
I've shared a story with you many times, many times through the years, of a friend that I had in college, a good, good friend. Um, I was Christian, and she was not. She's shown up in several sermons. Several times during college, I took chances to offer God's offer of salvation to her. She would say that she was lonely. And I'd say, you know that God can fill that loneliness. She would say she was confused about the future. I'd say, if you invite Jesus into your life, he can guide you. He knows his plan for you, and he can make it known to you. She'd say she felt guilty for things she had done. And I would assure her that she is forgiven and that Jesus can take away her guilt. But we always hit a dead end right there. Nothing spiritual ever happened. We ended college with an agreement to disagree about faith, but to remain friends. Even that didn't happen. You know, I got married, she got married, moved to different parts of the country. We lost touch 20 years ago. Now, even though I still think about my friend from time to time through the years, and even though I've prayed for her here and there through the years, I try not to let that story of what didn't happen drag me down because I have so many friends who have come to Christ Jesus. Some of them are sitting in this room right now. Focus on what God has done and the good that we have seen Did I share Jesus with people and it was awkward sometimes? Absolutely. Did I ever lose any friends over it? Not really. I mean, I was never pushy. I was just really excited. There is a difference. There is a difference between pushy and really excited. There's a lightness to really excited and a heaviness to pushy. If we want revival, we're going to have to put ourselves out there and take some chances. Invite a person from your school to a a church event. I think of all the youth events that our church has. And you may have a friend at school who might be nervous about the idea of coming to church, but they might come to a fun event. Look at the the women's ministry and all that they have going on. They have Bunko Night coming up here on on the, the 22nd. You can invite a friend to Bunko Night who may be kind of like toward church, but then there they say, oh, these are the women you go to church with? Well, they don't look like the psychopaths I see on TV at all. Well, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll come on a Sunday morning. Offer to take the kids who are spending the night at your house on Saturday that you'll take them all home. No need for parent pickup. You'll drop everyone off on Sunday after church. Ask your new neighbor or coworker. As you get to know them, do you have a church home? That starts all sorts of conversations. They might say, yes, I'm super excited about it. They might say, no, but I'm looking. That's important to me. They might say, no, why? But even that is a a conversation starter. You find out where they are and they know where you are. And then someday if they have a question about something of God, they might say, well, you know, so-and-so asked me if I had a church home. They're probably religious-y. Maybe they'll know the answer to this question. Or where I can find it. When your in-laws or your customers say, I wish I had your smile. I wish I had your lightness. Take a chance and admit that you didn't give yourself that lightness because you have it all together. That it comes from your faith. That little seed dropped in soil that may be ready, you don't know. You also don't know who God may send after you to water that. You don't know that you're not watering something that was put there at the last place. 
That little bit of faith it takes to give a reason for the hope that you have. So I want every person here to leave today with an urgency, an urgency to share the good news. But I want you to leave without a pressure, without a pressure on yourself to you know, make something happen. Urgency without pressure. Excitement for the gospel, but also a lightness. Because it's the lightness that people really want in their life. This world has gotten so heavy, so heavy, so dismal. Just You watch a video of a cat flushing the toilet, and then the YouTube comment says, aren't God's creatures amazing? And somebody else posts, I don't even got, you know, and it's just like, it was just a cat flushing the toilet. I mean, does it have to be a big fight? We need a lightness. We need a lightness. Jesus said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. We should have the same burden that Jesus had for the world, but when we wear it, it ought to look as light as he said it is. Show Christ wherever you go. If they become curious, want to join us, join us in our community, take this journey of faith with us. What a celebration that is. And if they don't, it's sad, but it's not unexpected. Every scripture we've ever shared said, that's how it goes. More often than not. There's still so much joy left in salvation. What else can you do? Because he is a good God. At the end of it all, he is a good, good God. And do you know that Paul and Barnabas weren't kicked out of Antioch and Pisidia forever? I I cheated. I skipped ahead to chapter 14. I found this verse. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers, they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They got to go back. So you share Jesus and someone says, no, thank you. Sometimes that's very painful because the person saying no thank you is your own kid. The person saying no thank you is your parent. The person saying no thank you is your spouse. It's your brother. It's your best friend. They aren't lost yet. He is a good God. He never stops pursuing them. Even when it seems like all of your opportunities have been spent, God has and can create infinite opportunities. So keep praying for them. Keep living in urgency with lightness and joy. You remember my friend from college that we lost touch 20 years ago. That was also my wife's friend. We all ran together in school. So we found her on Facebook and we sent her a text. And she texted back. She's married. She has kids. They were adorable. Seemed to be doing fine. We said goodnight. And then one more text. For those on podcast, it says, uh, P.S. Garrett, it took me until two years ago, but I finally found God. I don't know if you remember, but he was never a part of my life before. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> He's a good God, is he not? Share the goodness of his son, Jesus, with someone this week, won't you? Amen. Go in peace.